Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So here we are now in the the 10th and final part of this series that we've been in for the last 10 weeks called uh, Me, Myself, and Why. It's been a series that has started some really important conversations in many of our families in the church. It's been a series that's attempted to help us do what Jesus commanded us to do. And every week I've been saying to you from the very beginning, the whole reason is love. Jesus said nothing could be more important, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This, this greatest commandment to love God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your, your strength requires more than just lip service. And we've been saying for 10 weeks that to really understand how to love in a way that is real and tangible and transforming, it requires yielding our, our egos, really. It requires a humility of mind to be able to to seek to understand something more about the person you're trying to love, the neighbor you're trying to love, the enemy that you're trying to love. And, and, and what we've been trying to say is love requires that kind of journey of understanding others and ourselves because why in the world do these people think this way? And why do they watch that news channel instead of the one I watch? And how could this person have the opinion they have in this life? I can't see where they're coming from. And maybe even during quarantine, during sheltering in place, you're like, why in the world does this person always have to be in the same room as me? And why in the world does this person just shut down and need space? Well, there are reasons for all of those things. And our journey toward loving one another uh, deeply requires trying to understand something about how we're wired. But it doesn't begin by trying to understand the other. It begins by trying to understand what's in here, right? So we've been using the, this wonderful tool, the ancient uh, map called the Enneagram. And for the last 10 weeks, we've been talking about there are basically nine kinds of ways to enter the world, nine ways to view and do life. And, and today, we've made it all the way around the entire circle, haven't we? 10 weeks uh, running, we made... We've made our journey around all of the different types or personalities or persona that we project out into life. And we started out by talking about how the Enneagram is really divided up into triads, uh, into groups of three. And we said that some of us, some of the people in your home, are heart people. And they feel their way through life. And they're driven by this kind of hidden shame, something that drives them to make sure they project an image in the world. Different kinds of images, different kinds of behaviors to project that image, but it's all driven by this sense of feeling their way through life. And then the next six weeks, we spent talking about head people. There are head people in your family too. These are the ones who think their way through life, and they do that because that's their way of managing a kind of fearfulness that they carry with them in life. 
And there are different ways to manage that fear, different ways to think their way through fear, but they do. And we, we spent three weeks trying to understand the motives and the positions from which each of the head people come from. And then these last three weeks, we've been in the gut triad or the body triad. Now, these are folks who, they trust their instinct. They trust their gut. And, and they do that by trying to manage an anger in life by doing something about it. And the, the thing that they do is very different. There are different ways to do things and three different kinds of folks in that triad, more than that, really. But they try to manage their anger about life and about um, existence and about their shared space with, with one another by attempting to do something about it. And today, we've made our way all the way around to the last type. And maybe we saved the best for last. We'll, we'll put it that way. Uh, but today, we are talking about ones. Ones are known as the reformers. Reformers. In some places, they're also called the perfectionists. These are, are folks, and you know them, they, they're folks who are super conscientious. I mean, they have a high moral ethical standard, a code by which to live. There is a strong sense in the one, in the reformer, of what's right and what's wrong, of, of what's good and what's bad. There's a strong sense in which they, they, they know what a room needs when they walk into it because they are driven by a need to perfect the world. They're driven by this need to perfect something to become flawless, to become uh, impeccable, uh, and, and to somehow elevate the standard wherever they are. That means they can walk into a room and a one will look at the room and know, okay, this has too many chairs in the room, or they'll know it needs more lighting, or the sound isn't quite right. So they, they find a way to go in and instinctively they see what's missing and what could improve the situation. And that's why some folks even refer to ones uh, as not the reformer, but the improver. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one because no matter what their system is or their, their organization they're involved in or no matter what the project is that they're working on, they have a capacity because of how they're wired to improve it. It's really kind of a superpower. And there are some famous ones that you may think of. Think of Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi led the, this nonviolent independence movement uh, in India from Great Britain. You may even think about Nelson Mandela, uh, a political prisoner in South Africa for years for attempting to improve the system by getting rid of um, apartheid, by turning upside down the system of justice and injustice, and became the first black president of South Africa in 1994. You may even think of fictional characters like Atticus Finch, and I know the moment you hear that word, Atticus Finch, some of you can hear the voice of Bill Self, can't you? Telling his famous uh, Father's Day sermon and ending it with a great quote from To Kill a Mockingbird, right? So here's the attorney who in a very segregated, racist Alabama, he, he represented black defendants and attempted to take a stand for justice to improve life. See, ones have the capacity no matter what they're in, the family that they're in, the job they're in, the country they're in, they're attempting to move in a way that improves it. And it is a superpower. Thank God for ones, right? But like I've been saying all along, whenever we discover what that strength is that makes us stand out, whatever we discover to be our superpower, let's call it that, 
there is always a, a kryptonite that comes along with that superpower. So the thing that makes us strong is the thing that makes us weak. Our, our greatest strength is at times our very trap that we keep falling into. And for ones out there, ones who have this ability to see what needs to happen and improve it, that's a superpower, but it's driven by this hidden inner voice that is constantly saying, it's not good enough. And it may come out in ways that that, that project's not good enough or that room is not good enough or this, this vacation is not good enough, but it's really an inner critic that never stops whispering in the ear of the one, it's not good enough. And if a one was really reflective and self-aware enough, she or he may confess the real inner critic is not just saying that the world out here isn't good enough, but maybe the inner critic is saying to the, to the one at all times, you are not good enough. And so they manage this kind of trouble, this kind of inner voice, by attempting at, at every turn to make life better. But we've said along the way that each Enneagram number has a sin attached to it or a passion, energy attached to it. And for the one, the, the uh, primal sin or the, the cardinal sin, uh, deadly sin, is anger. Anger. But if you were to ask a one, what are you angry about? They'd probably say, well, nothing, I'm fine. What's wrong with you? Right? It's not that they're angry in, a, in, sense, in, in the sense of rage. right? But it's been said that the anger that the ones deal with is more of a resentment kind of a low-grade fever that is constantly with them, this anger that is really more like a resentment because they work so hard at following the rules and trying to make things right that when they see the world around them not following the rules or not caring about making things right, it can kind of grow within them. And so it comes out sometimes uh, like criticism. And so they'll project this interior struggle that they have with not being able to be good enough, and they'll sometimes project it on the ones around them. And it sounds like, like criticism. It sounds like preaching. You know, it sounds like nagging. And so now maybe I've caused some trouble in your living room. I don't know. But it's possible that that nagging or that criticism is coming from a deeper place, and it's not simply nagging but it's from a deep place of, of passion. Listen, Suzanne Stabile said, think about it this way. If you're not a one, if you're not one of these folks I'm talking about, think about it this way. She says, think about the worst mistake you've ever made. Okay? Got it? Now think to yourself about the self-talk that you have with yourself about that mistake that you made. Yeah, man, why did I do that? I was so stupid. Gosh, I don't know what I was thinking. Well, that kind of self-talk in the head of a one happens all day long. It's the self-inner critic that causes them, yeah, to make the systems around them much better, but it causes a, a constant kind of steady discontentment with life. And they don't get there just overnight, right? We all have these wounding messages we carry around, and they're different for each of the Enneagram numbers. But for the one, the wounding message is it's not okay to make a mistake. And we all pick up these wounding messages early in life, and we don't know where we picked them up or who gave them to us, and it doesn't matter. The truth is, 
for ones, they pick up this message early on that you can't make a mistake. That's not allowed. And when I think about the Bible and the characters in the Bible who may demonstrate one energy, one comes to mind very clearly. It's found in Luke chapter 15. It's the story that you and I know as the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And you know how the story goes in Luke chapter 15. I mean, you know the basic interpretation of the story, right? You know that, that a man has two sons, and the younger son said, I want my inheritance now. I'm going to take off and make life worth it. And essentially in that era and in that culture, he was essentially saying, you know, I know I can't get my inheritance until you're dead, so you're dead to me. I'm going to write you off and I'm going to take off. So he gives the younger son his inheritance and he goes off to a foreign country and he blows it. I mean, he just hits rock bottom. He's eating among the pigs, desiring to eat what the pigs ate, the slop, and he's just, he hit the bottom. There's no way he could have gone any further. And he says to himself, I think I'm going to go home and I'm going to ask my father if he'll just hire me back as a slave. I don't deserve to be his son, but I'm just going to come back. And you know how it goes. He comes back and the father with a wide, wide embrace, meets him halfway, sees him coming, runs out to meet him. He takes the, the family ring, the family robe, the family shoes, all these symbols that, that represent powerful images of belonging and family and identity. I mean, all those symbols that are worth a completely other sermon altogether. And he gives them these gifts and he welcomes him home. And it's this amazing story of grace, of compassion, of reconciliation. And it's just, it's amazing. But usually that's where most of the time we stop that story. But the, the story begins with this word. The story begins with a man had two sons. That's just the first part of the story. He had an older brother, too, who didn't behave like that, who played by the rules, who did what he was supposed to do. He was a one. And let's pick up his story, beginning in verse 25, and it reads this way. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. I just want to stop the story right there. The older brother was in the field. Why was he in the field? Because that's where he was supposed to be. Ones always do what they're supposed to do. They're where they're supposed to be. They do what they're supposed to do. They act the way they're supposed to act. And he was supposed to be in the field. And the trouble was, his little brother wasn't. You know, thank God for the ones in our lives because they are the ones in our lives who do what you're supposed to do. Thank God for ones in the church, by the way. Uh, so this pastor is grateful for ones in the church because ones in the church are the ones that hold the church together, man. They show up when it's time to show up. They attend when it's time to attend. They give 10% of their income because you're supposed to give 10% of your income, right? So there's this kind of dutiful nature in ones. They are the dutiful sons and the dutiful daughters who do what they're supposed to do, and because if they're supposed to be in the field, they're going to be in the field. But the story continues from there. The story continues with, he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. I just love this part of the story because 
If you know a one, then you know that all of their power to do the things that are right, to show up where they're supposed to show up and improve the world around them, you know they can do that. But you also, if you know and love them, you know that down beneath the surface, there is this like low simmering, always there resentment. Resentment. Not just because they're just ticked at people, but this resentment because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they don't know why we're throwing parties for people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Ones may not act like they are angry. You may not even know that they're angry because they are experts at stuffing that anger down, down, down until, until it, it pops. He's standing outside of this party. And I just want you to embrace the, the tension of that posture. There's a party going on. And the one who is welcome to come in the party chooses to stand outside it. We'll see what happens from there. The story continues. His father came out, and I love this language, and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, check the language there, when this son of yours uh, comes back who's devoured your property with prostitutes, uh, you killed the fatted calf for him. There's a lot going on in that passage. It begins with the father pleading. And what I want my ones to understand is this. God is pleading with you to come to the party. God is pleading with you to allow yourself to recognize this party is your party too. And all of the guests of this party are absolutely made up of imperfect people with unfinished stories. And I wonder what it would feel like for you as a one to consider that God is pleading for you to open your heart to even your own imperfections and allow the party to go on. Well, the, the, the older brother couldn't handle it. He's like, no, I'm not listening to that. He says, this, this son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother, just this son of yours has done all this and you celebrate him. I love the language there because he's distancing himself because he's so angry about the fact that this one wasn't following the rules and yet he gets the party. See, sometimes to manage their anger, ones will... We'll do some othering and some shoulding. They will other you and they will should you. They'll do some othering. That means if they're going to play with the rules, I'm done with them. Thanks. And they'll also do some shoulding. Now pay attention to what I'm saying. As I'm trying to articulate that very clearly. They, 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 they should on people. All right, so do what you want with that. So ones will should on people. You should have done this. I should have done this. We should have gone here. We should not have gone to this restaurant. I knew it was going to be bad service when we chose to come here, right? There's a lot of shoulding, and ones, the journey, the further journey for them is to learn to stop shoulding on everybody and themselves, all right? And yet the story continues. Listen to this tension, the struggle. The father responds, and the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because of this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And what I, 
I preached this passage, this parable for years, but only recently have I begun to feel what it might look, feel like for a one, the older brother, to stand outside the party and realize this party is not for me. He's throwing a party for somebody else, a rule breaker. And yet the father's words are, no, hang on. Everything that I have ever had is yours. It still is. This barbecue with the fatted calf, is, that's your fatted calf too. And you're welcome to come into the party. And it makes me wonder, how much of the older brother's resentment and anger and bitterness was about the father and how much of it was about the younger brother? But how much of it was from that inner critic who maybe felt that he didn't deserve even in his dutiful obedience even he didn't deserve the party because the inner critic to the one continually says no you're not good enough you're not worthy of this you're not worthy of this or anything no party no calf the truth is in this parable there is no not in this world there is no no prodigal son and an older brother the fact is the prodigal and the older brother are in all of us there is a little bit of prodigal in me and a little bit of older brother in me and it doesn't matter what your number is there is both a part of you that you know you are unworthy and yet you are still welcomed into the party. And, and the father standing outside the party with the older brother pleading him is perhaps an appeal to the ones among us, to everyone really, but to the ones to consider the possibility that everything that you see has always been yours. And everything you've been attempting to do is pleasing to me. Yes, it's imperfect. Yes, it's unfinished. But it's still pleasing. And that's why I love what Teresa of Avila said. She said, look, I don't always please God. But my desire to please God pleases God. And I would just pray for the ones in our lives that you might be able to consider the possibility that even in your imperfection, even if you can't please God, you, your desire to please God pleases God. And I said early on that the ones have this wounding message they carry around, right? This wounding message that it's not okay to make a mistake. It's not okay to fail. It's not okay to drop the ball, right? Well, the wounding message is that. But the healing message that comes from Jesus sounds like this. You're good. You are good. You are good because you were created in the image of God that you have the divine DNA of the Lord racing through you. You're good because Christ died and rose to redeem and reconcile you back unto God. You're good. And I pray that if you are one who is a reformer, an improver, perfectionist, you might be able to allow Christ to open your heart to receive that word. But right now, I want to actually invite the conversation to expand. I have two of my dear friends who are going to be on platform with me to get us an idea or share an idea of what it's like to be in their head and in their interior world. These are two of my favorite ones in all the world. Uh, this is Rhonda Bird and Tracy Bates. As they come up on stage, I just want you both to imagine, like the last two weeks, people are just standing up in their living rooms cheering right now for you because they love you. Listen, have a seat. Uh, Tracy is, um, I think those should be on, and we're going to get you to talk right into them as well. They've been sanitized since last week. 
They've been cleaned. Great. Mark Smith has been making this place uh, spotless for those who have to hold and speak and sing. Uh, but, but Tracy Bates is a long-term um, member of JCBC and a leader in our congregation. Rhonda Bird is my executive assistant uh, and works all through the week with me all day long. And she is a one. They are both ones. And I thought we might have some fun Sounds and good. get inside awesome. your head. All right. So the first question I want to, to ask you is when you, when you think about what you're learning lately as a one, as an Enneagram one, both of you, I know, have taken this journey seriously and begun to explore your own patterns and your own behavioral tendencies and your own traps. What is it that you're learning lately about yourself as an Enneagram One? For me, the thing that I've learned, probably it's been a life journey, but I've gotten to the Enneagram, and it's the simplest thing I could do is to rest. Hmm. Take a rest. Don't feel like I have to do everything. Don't feel like I have to tell everybody else what to do all the time so they can rest. So I think having a rest calms my mind, Mm -hmm. makes the inner critic at least go to sleep for a little bit. Take a nap. Take a nap. The inner critic take a nap. Inner critic needs a nap. So I think that's part of what I'm really learning right now. Okay. Tracy, what about you? I'm not quite there yet, Rhonda. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say, you know, I've, I've... learned um, things that have been reconfirmed for me, the, the, the positive things, mm-hmm. you know. I, yes, I know I'm organized. Okay, yes, I know I'm a planner. I'm detail-oriented. I started out as an accountant. I know all those things, and they've been reconfirmed. I think for me, some of the things that I wish I'd known 10 years ago were like, oh, wow, Tracy, you probably didn't need to react that way, mm-hmm. you know, or um, you need to learn how to relax and to, and to rest um, and, um, and, and how you react to those situations, how it affects your family. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning about those, and probably it's more like a wake-up call okay. a little bit, I would say. Because the reaction can yeah. cause a chain reaction, dominoes to fall, totally. right, depending on how you react totally. from your vantage point of what should be and mm-hmm. what could be. You know, you guys live with the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, Maybe a lot more than the rest of us, right? Right now, as a one, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, I should have said that. Yeah, right. That would have been better exactly. for me if so I So it's happening said. right now, even uh, as we speak. Yeah. That's right. It does. Which is a good segue, really Rhonda. Yes. So let me ask this question. That's a perfect segue. Because the inner critic we're talking about is not a joke. It's no joke. It's a real thing. And Suzanne Stabile says, if you know a one, ask them about the voices. And if you're not a one, you're like, what voices? That sounds kind of, you know, weird to me. But I want you to tell me about the voices. Tell me about the inner critic that is constantly saying to you, ah, oh, you should have, ah, oh, you could have. You know, how does the inner critic, how has that begun to emerge and you see that in your life? She's ugly. She's ugly. She's okay. ugly. Okay, okay. Um, and I think I have, after you know, reading about this and learning more about it, I think I recognize more what it is. I feel like I should find her a name, mm. okay? Just name So her. that I can okay. talk back to it. You know, yeah. to her and okay. say, no, you, you need to stop because I can't, wow. you know. Um, but while she's loud, and I sometimes I even feel it physically, you know, while she's talking to me and telling me, oh, you didn't do that right, or why did you do that, or you can't get all that done. Yeah. I can feel my jaws tighten, you know. I just, so you start feeling it physically, and wow. it's weird. It's, 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 it's scary sometimes. Do you notice it real time, or does, do you notice it after Afterwards, looking back after you then have said something or done something? Or. Um, lately, it's real time. 
Okay. Maybe that's we're aware. Because you're becoming we're aware. more aware. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Robin? Exactly the yeah. same. You can feel it physically. Mm. Paying more attention to it now to try to stop before I oh, hurt someone's yeah. feelings or okay. before I just say what she just said to me yeah. out loud. Uh, there was an example that I was preparing in my head. Uh, the inner critic was helping me yeah. pick out something. Yeah. Right. But my family loves monkey bread. Yeah. And my sister-in-law, we lived in California, she makes the best okay. monkey bread. So being here in Georgia, I was, of course, going to help my family, and I was going to make monkey bread at Thanksgiving. Yeah. It didn't turn out so good, so said the inner critic. And since then, I've literally made, like, five loaves to of monkey bread to try to, to, try to, to get, get it better. better. Knock it down. And yeah. finally, this last time was just a couple weeks ago, uh -huh. since Elijah's been home. Uh-huh. I made it. To me, it didn't turn out right, but I did not say uh, not one word. Okay. That's a not great example. Word. That is a great example. Be the time before yeah. that, Damon just took me in the room and said, you know, the monkey, it's great. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah. They love it. They're eating it. That's all that matters. Yeah. So, so this time, so I didn't here's say anything. A, all right. So here's what's interesting. I was on a, going on a walk yesterday, uh, two days ago and listening, because Ian Cron is a name that you're familiar with. Ian has a podcast called Typology, and it's been on our recommendation list on, on our website and so forth. I want you to check him out. But lately, he has, uh, Stephanie, Stephanie Wright, our uh, communications director, pointed out he has a new YouTube series, just little seven-minute videos on how different Enneagram types deal with the coronavirus quarantine. And he was talking about the ones, and I, I heard him say, he said that, Often with ones, with the inner critic, he says, you, sometimes if you incorporate humor into that inner critic's voice, give her a name, you know, and sing your criticism to the tune of happy birthday, like, uh, like you know, this monkey bread, you know, uh, you, can, you can do a happy birthday. So, uh, this monkey bread is too dry. It could have been moist, you know, and so you're already laughing. Because, and so, and he okay, says, you, you do, you add humor by, by making it silly, by making your inner, not for the rest of us, but for y'all, you have to mock your own mocking voice. I've laughed a lot at myself lately. Have you? you know, yeah. And rereading some of the things where, you know, you know, all the little posts on Instagram about your, this is how you handle things or this yeah, is what you right, do. Right. We, as a family, we laugh about it. And, you know, okay. right now in the quarantine that we're in, for a one, I'm a hot mess. Okay. I mean, yes. I don't know how else to say that. My routine What's is gone. What's it look like? Tell us, what, it, tell us what that looks you know, I've like. Had, I got no routine. I'm at home. Yeah. I've got my college kid is home. My youngest is a senior, so her years devastated my husband's semi-retired and i got a dog who wants to hide because yeah. she's like why are you home all the time <laughs> and so it, i'm out of sorts mm. and i feel like i can't do anything 100 percent, which for a one is horrible. Yeah, it's horrible so i'm not doing anything right right now in my okay. mind okay okay but we're all happy healthy and, and I, plenty of food i want so. and so i want people who are at home who know ones and who love ones to hear what was just said because you think you're going crazy during this time. I mean, you think you're having a hard time during quarantine. There are some who are having a way more even existential hard time right. over how in the world are we going to get through this yes. thing, right? It's right. crippling, I yeah. think. Crippling. Almost like you get paralyzed because you don't know what to go do. Okay. Because you're not doing anything enough. Right. It's okay. never good enough. The house is a wreck. Yeah. You know, it's no yeah. sense. You can go by and sanitize, and then yeah. there's a blanket, or there's a shoe, or there's a sock, yeah. and you're like, well, okay. Well, I, I, want, you, I want you to react to a statement. Okay, so I've, I've heard before that to a one, I'm just going to read it. Um, ones often think 
that criticizing is caring. I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, but that's been said, that ones often think that criticizing is caring. How do you hear that statement? Do you agree with it? I absolutely agree. And I, now that my husband's also understanding, yes. and I'll say something about myself, and he'll say, well, I know that means you care. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I should, you know. Okay. Well, honey, you should have just gone over there and did, yeah. I know that means you care. Okay. I'm like, uh, I missed it. Good, good. I think, I, I don't, I just realized that, you know, mm. maybe just awoken or accepted that, maybe, I guess yeah. is how you would say that. Um, because I think about how many times I've said to my kids or to my husband, you know, well, do it this way or do it that way, or gosh, everything's great, but, mm. or you should have, should have done this, yeah. or you could have. And yeah. I think, well, gosh, instead of picking the one nitpicky yeah. negative yeah. thing that was wrong, why didn't I focus on the positives yeah. that were all yeah. right about it? As Absolutely. A, yeah. And, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, there's always there's always a but, and so it sounds like because we all have different practices that we have to put in place to live um, better than our ego, you know, to shed ourselves of our ego tendencies and to live more authentically. It sounds based on what I just heard you say, it sounds like a healthy practice could be to end your sentences in periods and not commas, you know, comma. But oh, it's fantastic dinner, but of course we left you know uh, the dessert back in the freezer, you know. To, to, to end the sentence with a period, period. rather than a, okay. Mm-hmm. Let me That's ask effort. you. That's me, hard effort. It is. I'm, I'm assuming hard. so. Yeah. Well, let me ask another, a new kind of question. So you're both here because of your love for Christ. I mean, you're a member of this church. You serve this church uh, so, so faithfully, Rhonda, because um, you love Christ. And so your walk with Jesus is the most important thing. I know. I know that. So how has that shaped how, you, how is your relationship with Christ, with Jesus, shaped how you can better hear your, your healing message? That you're good, you're good, you know, and that you are good, you're actually good. How, how is your relationship with Christ helping you to hear that lately? Well, staying with uh, that monkey bread situation scenario, um, after that uh, time where I was just still talking about it and still talking about it, in my quiet time after that, because I've learned when I have a meltdown to me now, they're meltdowns because mm-hmm. I understand them now. Mm-hmm. But really, my alone time with the Lord, it was like he spoke in my spirit and said, you're good. Mm-hmm. It's not about the bread. Yeah. You're good. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if the bread is or not. You're good. Mm-hmm. And I'm the bread of life. Hey. The more you show me in who you are and what you do and how you treat people, yeah. how you love people, that's all that matters that's anyway. It. That's it. So, Rhonda, that's so good. It's been good for me okay. to, to come through that. All right. All right. Tracy? I would say for me, it's, it's an ongoing dialogue of me saying I'm not good enough and him saying, but I created you, your perfection. Hmm. And it's, it's, you know, but you're the, you know, the one is wanting to be perfect all the time and I'm never perfect, but in his eyes I am. Hmm. So you, you just, you're constantly, you know, engaging yeah. in, in, in dialogue and yes. you know, you're, you're good, Tracy. Just good. remember that. You're good. Yeah. And during that rest that I was talking about allows me to just hear him more mm-hmm. than the inner critic. Mm-hmm. When I'm busy, that's when I know the inner critic. She's yeah. up and she's dancing yeah. right. and she's ready to go. But yes. when I rest and it makes something where, you know, peace be still yeah. or um, Castor cares on him because he cares for you. Mm-hmm. When I start to really meditate on the word of God and what that's supposed to mean, the inner critic takes yes. her nap. That's right. Takes yep. her nap. 
She's the ego that I have to fight with you're, all the time. Uh, so you're, you know, God's voice is a still small voice, right? Mm -hmm. And won't, won't yell over the other voices. So there has to be a discipline of hushing our own mind so that we can hear the voices that have been there all along. I know right now, Nathan, during uh, this time home, uh, he and his friends, before they left, were beginning to read through the Proverbs together. And we were talking about Lady Wisdom and folly and how folly is on the street corners blasting it out. Come on, I'm over here, you know. But wisdom is quiet and, and reserved and stays on the porch and, and waits until you're, you're hushed enough to, to hear that voice. And I love the way you, you said it. When I, when I still myself, then my inner critic takes a nap and I can hear the things that he's always been saying. Always been saying it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think Be you content. Const yeah. constantly, I think, I find myself praying myself through it. Okay, okay. Praying yourself through the, the inner voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, let me ask you this. So for those of us who want to love the ones in our lives better or more fully, I want to ask you a couple of, um, couple of suggestions. So give us an idea. What, what does it take to love a one better? A tip. Help me relax. Don't tell me to relax. Okay. <laughs> help me relax. Amen. Don't tell me to relax. Okay. Okay. What's that look like then? How would, how would one help you to relax? Um, well, thank goodness I married somebody who has a sense of humor. Okay. And, and so That's, laughter and humor gets me there okay. a lot. Um, I'm also, you know, obviously ones are great planners and organizers, but that also means that you get put in that situation a lot mm -hmm. and you're that to-do list, yes. you know, although you like it and you're checking off the boxes and you're doing all those things that make you feel good as a one, um, the list can get too long mm -hmm. and you can get um, maybe not necessarily taken advantage of, but people think you got it. Yes. Well, maybe ask, mm -hmm. do you need help? Because ones don't yeah. always ask for help. Okay. okay. And I'm not saying I'll always will take it, but it is nice to be, you know, say, hey, what can I do to help you with that? That's good. I think that's good. And for me, I was thinking of another instance. So growing up as a kid, people, you know, the playing the um, dozens, I can't do jokes. <laughs> it's like the sarcasm thing, because then I hear it and I'm thinking, they meant that for real. And then the inner critic starts. Interesting. So my husband, who's a great joker mm. with the sarcasm, he's quick wit. I say, honey, just say nice stuff. Don't yeah, joke. Just, yeah. okay. just say, I really appreciate you. Oh, I, yeah. I'm glad you, you know, did those extra things or, you know, yeah. take notice of the things. Um, I love what Tracy said. You can't, if you tell me to sit down or to stop or to rest, now that's a task. Because mm. then I've got to get all that stuff done so I can yes. stop. Okay. But if you just, you know, he'll grab my hand and mm -hmm. just, okay. so, yeah. you know, how's right. it going? Right, right. Just Good. slow us down. Just well, help us slow down. I've heard that maybe one of the ways to help in that regard, I've heard that to love a one, you honor your commitments. If you say you're going to do something, yeah. do it. If you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. Because it rattles, the, it shakes up the snow globe for a one if, if someone doesn't follow through with what they say they will do. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because then that means we've got to come behind. Mm. we got to do it. And, and fix do it. it. <laughs> this is added yeah. to our list. Okay. We weren't planning on that thing, and now here we are. Okay. And that's the resentment pops in. And that's where resentment comes. Ooh, amen. And, and another thing that I've, I think I've heard along the way has been, if you do have to criticize someone who is a one, because the truth is none of us are perfect. None is perfect. So if you do have to criticize somebody in your family who is a one, 
realize that whatever critique you're about to, to speak has already probably been thought of inside them already and has been buried and maybe um, comes out in a way that makes you think you have to remind them of it, but you don't. So, there's, so be gentle with criticism, uh, understanding that that may be the fourth time they've thought about it, even if it's the first time you've said it. And sometimes we, you know, up here, because we are the organized people, that we plan, we think ahead, and we seem that we, or appear, that we have it all really together, and we're the one to go to. Sometimes just taking a moment before mm-hmm. they add the new task, mm-hmm. and, and you do, actually, you do very well with this. Mm-hmm. Hey, are you good? Mm-hmm. And I'll say, yeah. And you're like, hey. I need something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great. And I have my 20 things on my list. Mm-hmm. And just because you stop to ask first, mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that yeah, extra right. thing. Mm-hmm. Because now it's not a, a pressure. Mm-hmm. But you've checked in with me. So the ones in your life, please just check on just them. Just check in just on them. Just check in okay. on them. That's I good. have an opportunity, a lot of women uh, in my circle of friends, from time to time, they'll just send me a text, hey, checking on you. Mm-hmm. And I try to you know, do that back because then I don't get swallowed up in Oh my God, all these things are on my list, not realizing, hey, everybody's got a list. Everybody's got everybody's yeah. got things. So. I think um, early on in my marriage, we learned um, the first time I made a honeydew list for Patrick. <laughs> it did not you go get over to do well. one. It, no, it didn't last long. Let me put it that way. So anyway, we had to have a conversation, and luckily yes. we were able to do that. And so now it, we kind of changed it up where we each made our own list of what we were going to do on the weekends and what we had to get done. Okay. And he would say, is there anything, you know, you want to talk about that we should probably add to our list? So it's a mutual thing mutual now. And so I do not make honeydew lists okay. anymore. Do you know what, what's his number? Do you He's know? a two. A two. He's okay. A two. All right. I got you. I, I have a That's two. a whole other sermon altogether. Yeah, it right? is. I okay. have two twos and a and I knew seven. I liked I him for some oh, reason. Okay. I knew I liked him for some reason. Yep. So here's, here's one more thing, and then, then we're going to uh, transition. But uh, I meant to mention this earlier. So... <clears throat> In, in my world, so Rhonda is the executive assistant to the senior pastor. The other person close to me is, is Richard Eason, who, who is a long-term JCBC member, but who, has, uh, who is a one, and he's the executive uh, director of operations. And so I am flanked on both sides by ones, and thank God for them. If you lead a team or an organization or a company or something and you don't have ones on your team, go hire one right now, right? Because they actually keep the the car on the road between the yellow lines, keep us doing uh, and improving, raising the bar on all the systems in place, and it's a real gift. And the two of you are truly a gift to your families and to our our church, and I'm grateful for you being here. So here's what I want you to do. I'm about to transition, but as soon as I transition, I'm about to tell them that Adam's going to sing a song, and then you're going to, when the camera changes, you're going to get down and you're going to go to your seats for a minute, and when you sit down, you're going to think about the thing you should have said. Of course not. You're going to think, I shouldn't have said this, and you're going to think to yourself, it could have been better. Oh, I left this other part out, and I am asking you to hear the other voice. You're good. This has been a real gift to us. So thank, thank, thank you, you thank both. You and so what we're going to do now is every uh, sermon that we have ended in this 10-part series, for nine of those sermons, we ended it with a song by Sleeping at Last and uh, written from the perspective of that particular number. And today, Adam is going to sing uh, the song to conclude our study, uh, and the song is entitled One. Adam? Adam? 
Cause I believe that we can fix this over time That every imperfection is a lie Or at least an interruption Now hold on, let me finish No, I'm not saying perfect exists in this life find out that grace requires nothing from me. That's the greatest paradox and gift of all. And I pray that you receive that grace and that gift right here and right now. Listen, it's been an amazing journey that we've made together, uh, this Me, Myself, and Why series. And And I pray that if you missed any of them, you will go back online and watch the ones that you missed so that the persons in your life who may be coming at life from those other angles, you may be able to understand them more and you will be able to love them more deeply. But wherever it is that you go from here, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. 
May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. 